Hello, and welcome back to the Fidelity Podcast, a conversational show about the work of design. John, are you excited about the uh, the, the Apple event next week? Yeah, I just totally forgot about it until now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, wait a second. Yes, that's next week. I know. Yes, it's crazy. I'm excited. Like, um, I'm always excited for any of the Apple events. Me, I'm, me too. I'm a terrible fanboy. <laughs> Are are you okay? Well, I I'm, oh, yeah. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm, I'm getting close. Like I I think I'm like addicted to the cycle, right? Like, yeah. um, like I said, I'm not a crazy Apple fanboy, but uh, I am hooked on like the cycle of new tech that that comes every fall, and yeah. <laughs> I think it's sometimes uh, I don't know about you, but it's sometimes less about the tech and it's more about like watching the incredible production quality. Oh like, yeah, so uh, good, especially Apple's investment into the, like their video centric whatever you want to call it product unveils and like it's the camera angles the pans the incredible editing and all of it but like (laughs) um like do you prefer that over the the in-persons that steve and tim used to do yeah i mean those were really great too obviously now they're nostalgic but um yeah i think these are just like really polished and really tight and they keep things moving quicker um which is nice although the in-person ones were pretty were pretty like scheduled well too. Like, they were. I know that was like, always a good, like a clear focus of them. But how, how does how do you get in there? Like, have you ever been to one of those? Um, not too. No, I I was at WWDC one year, and right. but I wasn't there for the keynote. But a friend of mine was. Um, so you could go to like the keynote for WWDC because all the devs and stuff are there. But I don't know about the other ones, like the like these kind of ones, like the iPhone event. I think yeah. they might be like more media, like invited people. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Because I would love to be one of those uh, schmoes that like is walking around the auditorium, grabbing all the devices and just getting it all <laughs> gross, right? Like, yeah. um, I would just be super excited. I'd just be <laughs> running around like an idiot. Yeah. That would be pretty amazing. Yeah. I'm hoping for a new. I'm hoping for a new watch this year because I I've held yes. off upgrading my watch for a while, but yeah. Well, let's let's talk about the, the rumors. Yeah, I mean, like I new iPhone, of course. Uh, I think possibly no mini, right? I think they're possibly giving yeah. that, which should be a um, bummer. I think the yeah. mini is a great size. I don't have one, but <laughs> maybe that's part of the problem. <laughs> yeah, it's a great device, but I didn't buy one. <laughs> yeah, same. Like I, I, when I saw it, I'm like, oh, that, that's the one, right? That's great. That's true portability. That's what Steve yeah. wanted, right, from the beginning. Yeah. But like, uh, I didn't buy it. <laughs> I bought the pro, I got, right? I got one for my wife, and it's perfect size oh. for her, and she really likes it. And yeah, I, I think it's great. I just, I wanted some of the pro features, but other, like, if you don't need those, the mini is is pretty perfect. Yeah, I think so too. Do you do you play around with it much? Like, what do you think of it? Sometimes, yeah, it's, I just, I think it's a, re- it's a lot easier to hold. Like it's a perfect, it's a, not perfect. I guess some of the older like iPhone fours were like the perfect, like handheld, True. but the mini is like pretty close to that, especially now with the full, the full um, bleed screen. Like it, you get a lot of screen real estate, but it's still easy to hold. Yeah. Great. You can actually like grab it um, by your pinky and then that thumb can go straight to the top. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's a lot easier to use. Yeah, our, our, our like first world problems here. Where I like, can't <laughs> put my thumb at the top of the screen. Um, so yeah, you mentioned Apple Watch. Uh, like, I am super curious what this next gen is going to look like. Like, I think yeah, with, what series seven was eight. Um, the, yeah. Oh, series seven. yeah, series eight. But series seven was the the last version. 
that they yeah. had. And I think what they did was they decreased the size of the bezel. Um, yes. I think that it was sort the, of like rounds a bit. Right. Yeah. It was a bit rounder, right? The increased yeah. border radius, which you must've liked. Uh, <laughs> uh, what else? And then there, they had the, so the last version had the ECG, the blood oxygen sensor, I think. Yep. Um, yep. I, I can't think of what this one's going to look like. Like it, I actually feel like when I saw some renders of like the hard edges around the side, I, I'm not sure about that. I don't know if that's right. Yeah. I don't think that's right. I don't think they'll do that. I, I think it'll mostly be the same look and feel. Although there's rumors of the like a pro one or something. Right. Or like the like super indestructible one for people who like do extreme sports. Um yeah. There's like a rumor of that one. I don't think I don't think I would get that. Yeah. Personally. But so what are they trying to do? Are they just trying to eat Garmin's lunch? Is that what it is? I think so. I mean they're already yeah. so close to it, right? Like it can do I don't know. Usually when I recommend a smartwatch to people, I'm like, I, I don't see how you can go wrong with the Apple Watch. Like, yeah. I know Garmin has some unique features. Some of those ones that are supposed to be more for specific types of activities. But, like, at the end of the day, you're getting 98% of the way with the watch, Apple Watch anyways, plus you're getting everything else. Uh, yeah, it's hard yeah. not to have that as, like, I mean, and... Clearly, the market shows that. Like, what it's like the far and the way the best selling smartwatch, isn't it? Well, I th I th actually I think it's the best smelling wa watch. Period on the planet. Yeah, yeah like that's, that's incredible, and yeah. it's it, it's changed the way that we look at watches. And you know, some people have gone back to collecting mechanical and automatic watches because of the mm -hmm. the the Apple Watch, right? Um, yeah. I wonder if they'll get into. Have you looked at Whoop at all? Have you ever seen the Whoop bands? No. What is that? Oh, it's like a newer, it's not a smartwatch because it doesn't have a face on it, but it's just like a, it's like an activity band like you can wear on your wrist, but it tracks like your heart rate and stuff. But it's like, it has taken off like crazy in the golf world. Um, like it's called almost every band. Yeah. It's called, it's like W H O O P. Um, yeah. Look it up right now. But yeah, it's just this like really simple, um, wristband oh yeah um and it it tracks stuff like your recovery rates and stuff like it'll do like it like because there's also a sleep tracker as well mm -hmm. but then mm -hmm. it, it tracks like how like how recovered you are from day to day um and so you can tell like you can tell the days that you can like push yourself more because you're more recovered right um and other days where you're like less recovered you should actually not like necessarily work out as much kind of thing oh interesting but the the crazy thing is like they have done so much marketing towards like golfers i literally see like almost every like professional golfer wears one now mm -hmm. um and i see them everywhere in the golf world it looks it's great like really too. it looks really great yeah like because with no screen and stuff it just looks very simple mm -hmm. um and you can see why like at certain athletes too would want it in the sense that it doesn't get in the way of anything yeah. um but yeah they even they've even gone to the, the extent of like some of the events some of the pga events i've watched have like um they've done partnerships with whoop and they'll have like the golfer's heart rate up on the screen as they're about to hit a shot oh wild because Amazing. they can because they're getting that like live data and you can see like spikes like right before like big putts or whatever that they're trying to make in like major tournaments and stuff what kind <laughs> of hilarious. world do we live in that's crazy yeah, yeah. it's amazing but yeah well, it's 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 crazy how much it's just like it's 
that specific niche it's taken off on. Like whereas yeah. you could get a lot of this data with the Apple Watch too, but I think there's something unique about the recovery piece that the yeah. Apple Watch is missing. Yeah. Maybe they'll sure. try to get into that too and and <laughs> take out these guys at the same time. Oh, I, I'm sure they will. Um, and, and for our audio listeners, of course, like uh, trying to describe what this looks like, it's like a, it's a, a fold over sort of fabric band. It's got a metal clasp yeah. Um, yeah. with the, the whoop. <laughs> I get over that name, that whoop branding <laughs> on the top of it. It looks amazing. I, I don't, it does. I'm curious how thin it looks because there's a bit of a um, tiny bit of a bulge where it overlaps and that's probably where the unit is. But yeah. Yeah, it's super. It, it I guess is I guess what's interesting about it is that there, like you mentioned, there's no screen, and like, yep. um, it because with with the Apple Watch, like I think, um, looking at what comes out this year, I'm always afraid of the uh that effect it has of looking like a computer on your wrist, and like I yeah. I, I like the rounded edges because it feels less like it could be that, mm-hmm. um, although the you know like there are some mechanical watches like the Cartier Tank, which are like traditional watches that do have some pretty harsh edges, but there's something about the thinness of it and like how it lays on your wrist that makes it look yeah. less like a computer on your wrist. Right. So, right. Right. Yeah, yeah it's true. Um, it, it's funny cause you know how there's always that hot debate with, with smartwatches of like whether they should be round or square. Yeah. 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 What are you, what are your thoughts on that? Cause obviously the Apple watch has always stayed square to a lot of people's yeah. complaint. And then like a lot of the Android and like, isn't there a new like pixel one? again that i think is round yeah i think they're they're investing quite a bit this year in uh in pixel but uh i frankly think that the apple watch needs to stay square i think it's actually think so a too. brand recognition piece and it's less so about yeah. like let's appease the mechanical watch or traditionalists or hor- what, what yeah what's the term for it? horologists right um yeah it's yeah, I, I think it's important they stick to that. I think they need to own mm-hmm. that presentation of the watch. If they were to go with a circular watch, I would just be like, guys, you're just selling out that design. And yeah. you've got to, yeah. I think they need to own it. I think this time more than ever because of how much more Google's investing in watch. So No, I, I think I think that's the one major piece, right? Like, obviously, it's a, a brand recognition thing. But I also find that, like, the round ones seem nice in theory from like a watch face perspective, but they the UI on them always is so clunky because there's all this like weird dead space because yep. like UI is generally not that round or like it can't be because you lose so much screen real estate for showing like text or whatever. Yep. So it's like they have to just cut it off in weird places and it just, it always looks really funky to me. I agree. Yeah, it, it's, like the it's the just, face, like just the clean face, sure. But anything else, as soon as you get into like any kind of stuff you're interacting with on the screen, the round ones just end up looking really weird from a UI yeah. perspective. I, I totally agree, and like you can kind of, um, yeah. I mean, there were some Motorola watches from back in the day, and it was super awkward because like yeah. they were trying to fit UI into the corner, and it didn't quite align to anything. And it was uh, unless you had an, a a really good eye for. I don't know, designing watch dials, traditional watch dials. It would be pretty difficult for you to figure out where that something would go. But unlike yeah. a traditional watch dial, these you know digital dis- displays are always changing. So you can't necessarily accommodate every single use case into a circular display. It's really hard. So yeah, um, I don't really know, maybe it's, maybe it's because I suck, but like <laughs> it's, I, it's a challenge for me. Like, I've never been able to make a circular UI look good, yeah. I guess, uh, or scale well, yeah. right? 
I'm curious to see how this one turns out. The pixel, the new pixel one. It's yeah. funny because like every single screenshot they're showing is just of like the watch face. <laughs> yeah. <It's> like, <laughs> let's not show any of that UI. <laughs> Good luck, pixel design team. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but come back to the rumors. I, I know Apple Watch probably very likely refresh. Uh, I don't think they're going to do a Mac Pro up, um, sort of update yet. I think that's like a, a later next year yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious, coming back to the iPhone, I'm curious about the Pro this year. Like, what are they going to do now? Because last year mm-hmm. they did 120 hertz display. Great. Loved it. Um, the extra camera lens. Great. Loved it. But what's it going to be now, right? Is it going to be like yeah. always on display? Is it going to be? Uh, oh, we didn't we camera? we had a we had a bet last year for what was <laughs> that I lost? lost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what, what was that bet about again? Wasn't it about the always on? Yes, yes, that's right. I think it okay. was. Yeah. Uh, let's do it again. And you uh, and you said, oh no, the bet that you said was that if they do it, it'll be on the full lineup. But I was like, if they do it, it's going to be on the pro only. Let's do it again. Isn't it? All right. I think it's going to come this year. I think this time it's coming. Like, because they've the set up the complications. They've set up the complications to do that, right? Oh, like the lock right. screen, the new lock screen complications. Like, they're totally set up to be, you can see those when the screen's off. Or like, yeah. like quote unquote off, like always on. Okay. Okay. But okay, so I do, I still do think it'll be the pro only that'll get that. It's not going to be okay. across the lineup. Oh, it's the same bet. Okay, let's yeah. put. Uh, I think fifty is totally fair, man. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, let's do it. <laughs> okay. All right. So fifty dollars that uh, that John's um, inclination that the always on display will only be on the pro. That'd be yep. a dick move, Apple. But <laughs> I think if they did that, they do it on the entire lineup because. All right. All right. That that would it would be silly if that was the differentiating factor. I still st- I stand by that. I know, that's like, but that's I just yeah. I'm I, I've seen this happen before. It'll it'll okay. be. I just think it's gonna happen. Apple, but so we'll you're basically see. saying uh, that that Tim Cook's a dick. He's <laughs> <laughs> no, he's like I got to find a way to to differentiate these phones and and sell more pros. <laughs> ah, okay, all right. Well, let's put your money where your mouth is. Let's fifty bucks. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> Uh, right. Oh my God! This Perfect. intro just blew out. But I like, know it's so long. Um, now. I can't wa- wait to watch this Apple event. Remember, we used to watch it at work. It was it's, yeah, it's, yeah. I, I like doing that. That's it's the best part of the day. It is. <laughs> but um, <laughs> enough about Apple. Let's move on to our topic today. It's um, tips and advice for junior and new designers. Um, you know, I try my best to chat with as many juniors and students as I can. And and it's important to me because, you know, if no one talked to me when I was a junior student, I don't think I'd be where I am in my life. And and when I do talk to, to juniors, I think the topic that's on most everybody's mind is how to land that first role or how to fit in when you do land that first job. So those are the common topics that always come up. And Uh, I think John and I have like assembled a few tips after thinking about it a bit that I think are going to help most of uh, our juniors and, and um, maybe even intermediates as well as you navigate the first few years of your, your, um, your career. Um, You know, I I think like before I, we dive into it, uh, I feel like I've always been self pretty darn lucky. Um, I had a job straight out of school. So technically, I did. I didn't need a portfolio, nor like did I have to go through all the the loops and the on sites that I think young designers need to go through today. It's pretty intense. It's a lot more intense than yeah, than when is. I started. 
right? Like, did, did, like, what was your first interview like? Was it as involved <laughs> as like when you interviewed at Shopify? It must have been very different from like some some earlier jobs too, right? Well, the funny thing is that Shopify is the only like my current job is the only one that I got via an interview. Mm. Um, like my first job, same as you, right out of school, but it was like foot in the door through an internship. Like my um my college like was encouraging all the students to try to get just like a couple week, like just see if you can jump into a local agency and and learn a bit from them, like on the job. And it was supposed to be like unpaid, like yeah. and it was only like a two week thing. It was supposed to be like a short, like just That's get really short. Just get your yeah, your feet wet. It was a really weird, random internship. But the one that I reached out to, they were like more than happy. Obviously, they're like, "Oh, free, free work for two weeks." <laughs> Can't turn that down. Um, but I started doing it, and um, I don't know. I guess I wasn't terrible at what I was doing. So they asked me if I wanted to like work part time, like when I wasn't in school, like because my my school schedule was like pretty light. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would come in for a few hours, like certain afternoons, and and then they paid me for that work. Um, and then as soon as school ended, they're like, "Yeah, you're you're welcome to to join us full time if you want." Nice. And I was like, "Sweet." So yeah, that was job number one. No interview. Um, I mean, technically, we did like a a fake interview. I was supposed to also <laughs> do that as part of the internship. It was supposed to be like do an interview with them, so you get a sense of what interviewing's like. But obviously, they weren't going to say no. Um, right. 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 And then from there, I started my own company. So again, no interview required. (laughs) Then uh, we got we got hired by like an envoy that was because they were a client of ours. With when I was running my own company, and we had built up that relationship just through working together that way. So then Mm -hmm. they're like, "Yeah, you should join us full time." So again, no interview. (laughs) So it's just it was just now a Shopify that I actually like did a a true interview. Um, so yeah, I'm the same as you. I feel like very fortunate and lucky to be able to have gotten into the, in the door that way. Um, which I know is definitely not the case for most people. I just definitely yeah. lucked out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I, that being said though, like, you know, you, you now have had some experience interviewing and like, you kind of know, like, um, if you're just imagining someone like, you know, t- let's say 20 years old out of school no job experience, having to go through what you went through with like, mm-hmm. let's say Shopify doing that interview loop. Um, yeah. That's a lot. It's a that lot to a take lot. on. And it's intimidating. I, I, I don't, I don't think I do very well, honestly, if I was like yeah. that, you know, that age, never having done that before, I, I, I definitely trip and fall here and there. Um, mm-hmm. But Hey, that's why we're here. We're here to talk about um, in retrospect and the, from the things that we've seen interviewing, um, how we can help you get through that process or even get to that process and, and interview yeah. and, and land that first role. Um, and then consequently how to, you know, how to fit into that role. Um, yeah. So I, I'm going to kick us off because I think the number one piece of advice that I give to people looking for that first role and the, you know, the, the common question I get when I, you know, when I, when I chat with juniors is about like the case studies and the portfolio. How mm. do you, how do you, what's your process in getting it together? And the number one piece of advice I give them is you've got to start with words. You've got yeah. to write out your portfolio, your rather your case studies in a way as if you were explaining it to someone who has zero context. And that's what you're doing when you're presenting your work. Um, so, you know, like it might help to know what's 
typical in an interview. And like, usually what would happen is, um, feel free to jump in here, John. It's, it starts off with some sort of like a screening call, maybe a couple of those, one with like a recruiter, right. one with a design manager. And then um, if you do well there, there's possibly like a portfolio uh, review of like one case study. And then once yep. you move past that stage, you they bring you into the office or maybe they bring you into a virtual loop where, uh, sorry, loop is a term for like the final stages of an interview. And the first mm -hmm. part of that is usually like a full portfolio review, which is about an hour, and you go through one or two case studies, and then maybe optionally some questions. And then you'll do some sort of like whiteboarding exercise where they sort of figure out how you collaborate. Um, and then they will put you through like a, a couple ringers of like, you know, conversations with PMs and engineering managers yeah. and et cetera. Um, and, and then you'll probably finish off with your design manager. That's typically how an interview loop mm -hmm. would look. But mm -hmm. the first part is that portfolio review, an hour of you presenting your work, basically sharing the stories about your work and your career. And I think yeah. like that part is key because that's how they're going to assess uh, things like your level of craft, your involvement in projects, what they can expect to see when they put you on a particular problem space. And yeah. the reason why writing it out is so important is that if you... Um, if you want to structure it in a way where you're actually telling a story easier to listen to, um, mm -hmm. you're going to need to start with words. And I think like starting yeah. how, I starting like how most people do it, which is like opening up like a web flow or something. And then starting to design a page, like throwing in visuals and stuff it is, is not the wrong approach. It's just, um, it could hold you back from being as clear and as, uh, persuasive as you need to be. You need to tell the story of your work. That's the goal. Not to show certain visuals, not to check a bunch of boxes. Share the story of your work. And of course, with yep. all stories, I think starting with words, building that narrative in words is important. There's a second part to that, though, is once you've written out your case study, like what was the problem you were solving? Um, how did you uh, start that process? Who did you talk to? Um, did you do interviews? What questions did you ask in this interview? All those details are part of that story. Once you've written it down, what I tell people is take that story, no visuals yet, and go find a friend <laughs> and <laughs> sit them down and read that story to them. And mm -hmm. then based on how much they understood from my verbal explanation, go back and edit that again. And then I keep editing until that's like a nice, clear concise and smooth story about your work, whatever mm -hmm. project it is. Um, and then at that point, that's the time when you start to throw in things like slides or maybe you'll put together a slide deck and you put it put together um, examples of your work, like sketches and high fidelity stuff, even video and, and walkthroughs, maybe you're embedding a prototype, all that stuff. That's when you layer that in. So yep. um, that's how I've approached it. It's, it's done me a lot of good because when it comes time to presenting, it's like, it's super smooth because you've already yeah. done the practice, of, you've done the narrative construction, and you've also practiced sharing it with someone so you know that it's clear and that, that someone understands what it is that the work is about. Uh, so that's my number one tip. Um, and, and just to follow that up, practice is, is important. Like, yeah, once you've, like, especially if you're doing this for the first time and you're, you're sharing your work for the first time, you want to feel like when you go into that interview that you've done this before and you're just like, you're just doing, you're just like performing this, uh, this show, right. Of mm -hmm. talking about your work. So 
if you can, um, and part of this is networking, find people in the industry that you admire and share your work with them. Ask them, can I practice this with you? Going into mm-hmm. my first interview and I want to practice this. And I, I think like nine times out of 10, if there's someone that you know that's in the industry, they'll be happy to listen to your, to your work. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think, John? Like, I, I yeah. know this is pretty, like, it's pretty unique in the sense that, like, no one's ever told me to write out my case study. Right. But it's always helped me because, like, I need to know how this is going to play out when I actually present it, right? Yeah, no, I love it. And I think I think if more people did that, too, I think there'd be <clears throat> there'd be this opportunity to simplify how much you need to layer in too. Mm-hmm. like i find like one of the things that many people building portfolios maybe like a common misstep i guess with them is like just trying to check all the boxes of like here's every step of the process and i showed a visual for it yeah um like showing the like here's a whiteboard with a bunch of post-it notes on it and that we took a picture of and like you know what i mean like seeing some of that stuff yeah. in portfolios like some of those can help with the story, but some of them are just like added as filler. And then mm-hmm. they, they get kind of like lost in the shuffle of like everyone kind of doing the same thing. Right. Whereas I think if you tell a like really clear and concise story with actually like less uh, examples, like those things, like less of those visuals are necessary when you tell a really clear and concise story yeah. mm-hmm. that like, it almost makes your work stand out a bit more. Um, yeah. Compared to someone else. Right. Like I think there's mm-hmm. b- benefit in that. And I think the other important thing to mention here is that for, especially for students, is that when you write out a case study like this or tell a story like this, it doesn't have to be about some some real work that shifts. That's true. Right? Like that's the problem that I think a lot of people have trying to build up case studies. It's like, well, I don't have any projects in my portfolio or I've only ever done like schoolwork or um, I did a redesign of <laughs> some app, yeah. right? Yeah, but. Right. If you build out a good story of even something made up like that, um, it can it shows like your your process. It shows how you think about designing and and building solutions. Um, and I think that it applies even to work that hasn't shipped. Um, yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah, I mean that that's totally true. Like most most of the time, you're not going to have like something that you've shipped that has real world metrics or anything, and that's okay. Totally okay. But you know, the, I think the point as you were saying about the portfolio review is like, how does this person think? How do they think about problems? Um, mm-hmm. so that, yeah, that's, that's totally true. Um, so yeah, so tip number one, spend time writing your case studies. Um, like John, what? your turn, man. Yeah. One of mine actually, like, I think just feeds right off of that one. Um, which I think is like experimenting with different ways to show or talk about your work. Um, whether it's like on your site or like what you send to, um, hiring managers or whatever, or people that reach out, um, like try different ways of showing off this story, right? Like you could, you could record a little loom video of yourself just walking through the work, um, or like a screen share, uh, use QuickTime or whatever, and just like, um, do a screen share of your, your screen walking through that, that story that you crafted. Mm -hmm. Um, like I think something like that would show a bit of like a unique aspect of your portfolio that not everyone does. Most people rely on the like the pretty straightforward single web page yeah. with a case study. Um or even like linking a keynote file or whatever. Like and I think there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Like I don't think there is a a standard that you have to follow. Like right. I've seen great portfolios that are just like 
a Dropbox link sent, right? <laughs> like you don't need a website per se. Um, a lot of people do, but it's not like a necessity. But I think like trying to stand out and do something a little bit different than what everyone else is doing is really helpful. And that's where like, yeah, just create a video, create like um, an interesting like Figma prototype that someone can click through um, and it jumps through like about you and and then your work or something like that, right? Like something that's just like a little bit different than what everyone else is doing will help you stand out as much as it sucks to have to say like, um, you should try to stand out with your your case study because like <laughs> your work should speak for itself. But um, I don't know. It it'll show a, a sense of your personality too, right? Like especially a video. I think a video form is pretty cool. Yeah. Because um, then the whoever is watching it gets a sense of what who you're what you're like, um, how you would be in a collaborative setting, that kind of thing. And you get time. You can edit it. You can cut it down. It doesn't have to be perfect or it gives you time to like re-record it if you mess something up. So it, mm-hmm. it gets to that practice point too that you mentioned as well. Yeah, I quite like that a lot. And I've actually seen a few like job descriptions um, where, you know, they're, they're expecting a video in some some mm-hmm. case. Like, like I, I guess they're just trying to reduce the number of steps in interviewing because like usually you do a recruiter call, then they'll right. they'll punch you off to like a designer to look at one of your, your case studies. But if you did that all at once in your application, like, wow, that, that's like a lot of value. And then they also get a sense of, you know, who you are and how you present and like um, how you talk about your work already. So, so it's a lot of value in like one step. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be here. We'll be here in another two years saying, don't do a video, (laughs) stand out, stand out by doing something different than a video. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you've you got to appear in virtual reality <laughs> to walk through your, your work. Yeah. No, no, you go back to just writing uh, a Medium post about uh, <laughs> your case study. Oh, gosh. Uh, don't get me started <laughs> on Medium. Um, <laughs> um, that, that's a good one, John. Um, I, I, I wish I had that technology when I was starting out because that, yeah. that would have saved me a lot of pain. I, I, I hate presenting because it, it just makes me super nervous. And like I always stumble... Um, you know, I, I don't know, like everybody can tell, but I, I edit this podcast a lot. Like I stumble <laughs> all the time. So anyways, yeah, I think that would have been helpful. I, it's funny. It's funny. I think it's like, it's trying to, um, lean into like also what maybe where you're more comfortable, right? Like I'm, I'm the same where I feel more comfortable showing work by just like recording a video of myself walking through it yeah. over trying to write out like, uh, a concise example of of the thing that I'm trying to describe. Like I don't yep. I don't mm-hmm. think writing is as much of my strength. Um, I feel more comfortable just like talking it out. Um, so for me, it's like that's what would feel kind of more uh, comfortable for me to like show off my work that way than trying to like make sure I create this really nice clear case study. Um, but it might be the opposite for other people, right? Like you might be nervous recording a video and you feel more comfortable writing it out, and so. That's okay too. Just find like different ways to to make it a little bit more unique. I'm always nervous, John. Hence the videos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Here's another one. So tip number three is learn how the sausage is made. And I think like some of the most valuable times that I've ever experienced as as a designer was when I got really interested in how that sausage is made. And if you're a print designer, mm-hmm. for example, go visit the printer and do the do the press checks. And if you're like if you're interested in the web, we'll pick up some CSS and um, uh, learn about some new web frameworks. 
Or if you're interested in mobile, pick up some Kotlin or some Swift UI and just really mm -hmm. get your hands into the code whenever you can. I think the, the value here is when you later spend a lot of time collaborating with your engineering partners, um, they're going to appreciate that you can speak a similar language. You understand the challenges involved in, in doing a particular thing. And I think like uh, one pet peeve that I, I think most engineers have when I, when I speak to them is like, um, like there are certain things that maybe some, some designers think of as being trivial. They're absolutely not. Um, yep. You know, especially when we, when it comes to like things like animation and like putting something in that's like very uh, elaborate. Um, these are things that they're not going to prioritize over core business problems. And you knowing how difficult some of these things are um, is, is important in you being able to help prioritize certain things. And that, that, that's the first step towards being a good partner is knowing, yep. is being able to empathize with like how each of your counterparts um, has to deal with certain challenges. Um, yep. But over and be, uh, beyond that, like um, I remember like, you know, being a print designer and like, spending a lot of time trying to figure out how certain effects are done with inks. And knowing mm. that, I had a better idea of how to price things out. Like if a client wanted something very special done, I could tell them, well, that's out of your budget for sure. I could tell you that right, right. now. Um, and I also got just, I just really enjoyed it. Like I loved seeing how certain types of papers and inks interact in the same way that I love writing CSS. Like it's so much fun. Like mm -hmm. I'm not very good at it, but it was so much fun to like, build things on your own. And like, I think if I ever get the chance again uh, to like spend a lot of time building websites, uh, I, I, I think I'd really enjoy it because there's so, there's so much more tooling now than there was back then when we were designing in tables. Uh, that's certainly yeah. not the case anymore. <laughs> but, and the same with like, um, like I'm currently learning Swift UI. I know you are too, John. Like yeah. um, I'm, I'm really enjoying getting into the nitty gritty and like, and unlocking certain things about it. Because uh, yeah. as much as like we can do all kinds of things in Figma and like origami, um, it's, it's probably gonna be a lot easier to do some of these things in, in Swift UI. So I'm like, right. I, I'm gonna pick that up. And like, yeah. it's a communication tool, right? Like being able to is. code is, is something in your tool bubble about communicating design. And that's our job. Our job yeah. is to visualize a problem communicate it to folks and then get people behind it. And, and mm -hmm. sometimes they'll look at this thing that you build and they'll be like, no, that's not it. But that's the point, right? Like, and I think like mm -hmm. the more fidelity you can bring to it, the more, the more <laughs> true to life um, work that you bring to your, uh, your design, the more clear your direction becomes. If that makes sense. Like you want to try yeah. to get as close to the real materials as possible. Uh, yeah. I know that we've talked about that in, in our fidelity episode, but like, I, I, yeah. I love this part. And it's like, so coming back to my original point, learn how the sausage is made. You're going to have fun. Mm -hmm. I promise. Yeah. And, and I think it's, you don't have to become an expert at it. Like you don't yeah. have to start <laughs> building the apps yourself. Um, but just understanding how it works. Like at, it's even at the basic level, I think is important. I think yeah. the other side of it is true too. It's like learn the business side of, Mm -hmm. of work right For like sure. the, the product side or like i mean i think inherently product design leans that way a little bit from time to time but you could go even further you can learn um more about like what makes a business successful or not yeah um and again it's like 
it's the same for the same reason. It's another communication tool that you can then use with CEOs or with product people mm-hmm. or you know what I mean, like any of those elements. You, again, you don't have to become an expert at them. You're you don't need to like overlap and take over their responsibilities, but mm-hmm. by knowing how what they're thinking about, what's important to them, how they're approaching the work, um, you're able to collaborate better with them. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And also, like that's that's a really good point you brought up around like learning the business side of things. I guess it's also this act of like understanding what your partners care about, right? Like, yeah, your your PM is gonna really care about how the work we're doing. Uh, impacts the business and then your engineering counterparts going to really care about um, how does this scale is this the right way to do it um, is this going to box us in right like so understanding mm-hmm. what each of these partners cares about is pretty key um, but um, I think like the last thing I said about uh, this this point this learning how the sausage is made is that it's really fun like I find yeah. it super fun and like it might be intimidating yeah. at first but I love it like it's it's like know. getting into these little details uh, is Me too. I, I'm, I'm building the screen in Swift UI right now. I have no idea what I'm doing. Also <laughs> in zero danger of becoming an expert. I'll tell you that. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. It's like you you're just That's like great. mirroring on your phone. You're just like, oh my God, yeah. I built this thing. I made yeah, this thing. Right? And, yeah. yeah. Anyway. That's yeah. awesome. What's your next point there, John? Um, my next one is around finding your niche. Um, so I, I think sometimes... Um, Designer, new designers in general, like kind of focus too much on trying to be good at the whole spectrum of product design. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think we've talked about this yet on the show, but I really like this concept that's talked about a lot at Shopify, and you'd know this too, is the idea of like deepening your T, yeah. right? It's like it's this idea that everyone has this T-shaped skill set where across the top of the T, you'll have these like very you'll be very broad in, in knowing like at least the fundamentals of a bunch of different skills. And then in one particular area, you go really deep um, and you become like the expert in that thing or the go-to resource for mm-hmm. one particular skill within the product design craft, right? Because product design yep. in, in particular has a lot of this, right? It's like some are really great at the research side of the process. Some are really good at design thinking. Mm-hmm. Some are really good at prototyping. Some are really good at visual design. Um, there are all these different skills within the product design craft that are difficult to become masters at every single one of them. But that's why this idea of like leaning into what is your T shape um, is, is really important because that's where you'll start to differentiate yourself. And I think that's important to kind of learn early on in your Mm -hmm. career too. And it's not so much like you may not be super deep in one area yet, but like, Find the area that you really love. Because in my experience yes. and talking to people, the the whenever you become really deep in one skill, it's because that's the one you care about the most. Mm-hmm. Like that's the one you're passionate about. I think mm-hmm. I have yet to meet someone whose deepest skill is the skill that they don't like doing. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, have you met anybody who's like that? No, I doubt I, it. <laughs> that, that's that, that's so true. Like, right? You know, like, it, it reminds me of a movie. Um there's this, um, I'm not sure if you've ever seen it, but it's about this sushi chef, Jiro. Yeah, it's Jiro Ono mm. loves sushi. I think that's the name of the movie. And it's like, he started off hating it. He hated making sushi. But then oh. eventually, he just got really good at it. Like, and I think then he grew to love it. So I don't know which one's first, but I agree with you. Right. Like, you, you don't like, it, it's very unlikely that yeah. the thing that you hate to do is going to be your skill, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, 
if you hate prototyping, like you're not going to become a master of prototyping. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I guess you could force yourself, but <laughs> I like generally speaking, though, you're going to lean into the areas that you love. Like yeah. I've, I've always been very fond of like the visual design aspect of product design. So mm-hmm. I spend a lot more time, especially early on, learning that skill or even continuing to hone it now and like looking at other people's work and being inspired by visuals and stuff. Like yeah. I think we both probably um share that one like even talked about honk uh in one of those <laughs> in one oh, of our yeah, episodes yeah. right it's like we're gushing over the visual details because that's something that we care about um mm-hmm. and so that's an area that for me that's one of the like pieces that i bring to the team that's maybe a bit more unique from other people on the team um and so i think it's like really important early on to to kind of start to figure out what that is for you mm-hmm. um you can change it uh, like you're not like locked in forever but yep. like find the thing about design that you love and don't be afraid to lean into that. And also don't be afraid to like lean into that in how you talk about your work, because whatever you mm. talk most passionately about in your case studies or that you spend the most time on is actually ultimately what you're going to get hired for as right. well. And then you'll be put into a position where you get to do the thing that you love to do. I think like there's many times where early stage designers try to be like, very um level across all the skills and so then they'll get but they'll like end up in a position that maybe they're not quite happy in Mm -hmm. because the interviewer was like oh they can kind of do everything so we'll put them into this role where they can kind of do everything Mm -hmm. and maybe they won't like really um help you pursue that one skills area that you really love whereas if in let's say let's take like the prototyping example if you really love prototyping like put a little bit more of your prototyping work into your portfolio and then someone looking at your work will be like, oh, this person's great at prototyping or they really love prototyping. Yeah. Um, uh, you're either going to get, you might get, so the risk is you might, someone might be like, oh, well, we don't really need someone with prototyping skills. Um, and it may be that ends up being a reason you don't get the job, but it does become the reason you might get another one that actually is going to let you do more of that work. Um, yeah. And you might just end up in a spot that you're ultimately happier in longer term. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great point because um, I, I recall being a young designer and doing the same thing. It's like I can do it all, right? I can do the research, I can do the the visual design, I can do the information architecture, all that stuff, right? None of which I was very good at. I think that like when you're starting off, like I think it's natural to like feel like you need to do all these things to provide value and keep your job, right? That kind of yeah. thing. But <laughs> At the same time, as you were saying about like, you know, um, you know, deepening your understanding of a particular area that A, that you enjoy and B, that you're good at is important for your mental health too. Because as mm-hmm. you, uh, you spend more time in the industry, um, which can grind on you, you mm-hmm. want to make sure that you have something that you really enjoy doing every day. And not, not every day is going to be a dream. That's not how it's going to work. You're going to have difficult times. But yeah. I, what I like about my job right now is that I've been very upfront with my manager about what I do, what I like to do, and what I'm good mm-hmm. at. And yeah. they're going to encourage that I spend more time doing that thing. And what that means is when I come to work, I'm doing the thing that makes me happy. And I'm, yeah. I think I'm pretty good at it. So um, mm-hmm. being very upfront and being honest with yourself about you know, what you're good at, what your niche is, as you said, John, like, it, it's like so important. So embrace it. Um, yeah. as soon as you can. And it, it's not to say that, I think you're, you're saying that it's not, you know, something that locks you in. It's just like, you need to 
you need to push a little bit deeper to understand that part of the craft. And you should do that as yeah. soon as you can. Uh, that's, well, I think that's what it means. Yeah, and I think it. I think when going back to one of our earlier tips, like it, it does help you stand out a little bit too. That's true. Um, like, because at the end of the day, it is when you're first starting out, it is hard to necessarily be able to go into every role and be like, I only want to do X, right? <laughs> like, you're gonna be asked to do a lot of different aspects of the job, and you should. You you should st- keep learning the 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 length of the T, right? Like, you you're still early in your career. You have to build up all those skills. But if you start to show a little bit of that glimpse of the things that you care about and that you're better at within your early case studies and stuff like that, it'll help you stand out um, next to somebody else too, right? Like, so it could be the reason that you end up getting landing a particular job. 100%. Yeah. There's one more, right? You, you got one more? Yeah. Yeah, I have one last one. Um, I think this is probably more for folks who are now like kind of maybe landed their first job um, and they're starting to build up some of these craft areas and um, just wanting to like move ahead in their career and get to the next step and, and get to the next level. So I think that's the natural next step from here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think something that's really important to do in those early days, this, well, actually this doesn't just apply to early days. This applies to forever uh, <laughs> when you're in the craft, but like, especially early on, like just try as many different things as you can. Like if you're exploring a new, like a project and you're exploring new ideas, like go way out of the box, try something really wacky and weird. Um, and like, just don't be afraid to just try a bunch of different things. Like don't lock yourself in too early um, into an idea or, or a particular style or a particular direction and just try everything you can. Cause like you don't, you won't discover like the edges of the box, the boundaries of what makes sense for this solution unless you go past them and Mm -hmm. then work your way back in, right? Like you'll get feedback. People will tell you like, hey, maybe this is a little bit out there. Um, Either it'll be like, this is a little bit out there and I love it or this is a little bit out there and weird and I'm not sure if it works. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, I'll take that and kind of bring it back a little bit. Um, But you'll never get to the edges of the box, the edges of the boundaries, unless you actually go past them um, and work your way back. And I think that comes from just like trying any idea like i i've sometimes done really wacky things like grabbing some yeah (laughs) yeah you've seen some of the wacky things but like one of the things i love to do is even like take an interaction pattern or a ui style or something from an app that's like totally irrelevant to the thing that i'm trying to do and just try (laughs) to like pop it in there like like take it take an instagram story approach and like use it for something like not story related at all (laughs) yeah yeah just like See what happens. Like maybe it will be kind of <laughs> weird and dumb, but maybe it'll actually work for some crazy reason. Um, or like break the system platform. Do you remember that like exploration I did where I literally put like a pullout toggle arrow on the tab bar? I remember for, like opening yeah. a drawer. <laughs> it's like yeah, that you was... would never see that. I'm pretty sure all the devs were like, "What is this?" You would never put something <laughs> like that on the tab bar. Um, and like we ne- we never built it. We were never gonna do it. But sure, I don't know. It's I I think I think it's an important part of design. Like, yeah, design is cheap in the sense that like we can put boxes in Figma in literally one second. It takes no code at all. Mm-hmm. So why not try to put some stuff in weird places <laughs> while you're doing it and <laughs> see if it works? <laughs> Love that. That's gonna be a good soundbite. Uh, yeah. But I, the, what I like about this piece of advice is that it's not just design advice. 
this is life no. advice, right? Like yeah, I, yeah. I, I think in life and without doing anything dangerous, I think this applies where you need to know the boundaries of yourself. And I felt this way when, you know, I, I had a, a great manager back in the day, uh, shout out to you, Ernie, who encouraged me to, to try management. And I was like, no, I'm really scared of it. I'm seriously intimidated by it. I'm not going to do that. I don't think I'd like it. But I think to his credit, he was encouraging me to, to take that chance, take that leap. You don't know until yeah. you try it. And you might be great at it, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think I've, you know, outside of my career, I've, I've had those opportunities too. Maybe you should jump into the deep end of the pool. That, maybe mm -hmm. that's how you're going to get over that fear of like being in deeper water. And I, mm -hmm. I, I appreciate every time in my life when someone's encouraged me to push the boundaries of something. And I hope that applies to your, um, to your design craft as well. It's like mm -hmm. you're going to stumble on things throughout your career and you won't know the edges until you go and you have to go. Mm -hmm. yeah. so, no, I, I, love, I love that one, John. It brings a tear to my eye. <laughs> awesome. Love it. <laughs> so those are our tips. Those are our five tips. Um, if you're a student and you found any of this useful, uh, send us a tweet. Or maybe you were a student. You've landed your first job and you've got a better one. Send us a tweet yeah. about that too. Let us know what has helped you in your career. And maybe that's going to help someone else uh, that, that's following along. But in the meantime, John, I'm, I'm like very much expecting to enjoy the $50 that you're going to send to me uh, <laughs> next week. Um, I'm going yeah. to, uh, I'm, I'm going to misspend it certainly, but I'm like, just put I it have towards, an idea. Yeah. You can put it towards buying a new phone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Except it'll be me putting it towards a new pro cause it's the only one that'll have the always on display. So. Yeah. You, you can keep dreaming, John. Uh, I'll, uh, <laughs> but we'll see you next time. <laughs> see you, John. Yeah. See ya. The Fidelity Podcast is hosted and produced by John Rundle and Bill Chung. Visual brand design by Amy Deborah. Rate, review, and subscribe to Fidelity on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts.